This is Jan Cox, talk number 2,574, recorded September 6, 2000. I'll first read what I have here in my hands for the night. Men mistake their instinctive self for how they feel. And the more their thoughts stay on how they feel, the less opportunity they have to ever realize that how men say they feel is not the same thing as what they by instinct and temperament are. Letting your thoughts dwell on how they say you feel keeps you believing that what they identify as how you feel is what you are, which is not so. What your thoughts describe as how you feel is nothing more than an imprecise mental reflection of what you temperamentally are by inborn instinct. Your instinctive self does not have feelings in the mortal emotional sense. The passions of a tiger and of a man's instinctive self are not feelings as they are defined by man's mind and not realizing this is a most costly oversight to a man attempting to take this trip. And I'm like you, I certainly hope that I do not find the time or have the inclination to make any personal comment on that particular news story. I think it's offensive enough. Prima facie. Page two. A human problem is something bothersome about which you can take no curative action. You cannot conclusively do anything about the problem. And why? Because it is entirely of the mind. That's why. A visitor to a monastery, finding the head of the order away, asked the second-in-command, if he would answer some important questions, noting that based on his seniority and lifelong association with the missing elder, that he was surely capable of speaking for the master. And after a slight pause, the monk said, Hell, half the time I'm not capable of speaking for me. Everyone begins this journey depending on their mind. But to ever complete it, you must reverse the arrangement so that your mind depends on you. Well, this is one insult after another. <laughs> this, by God's the shoddiest news. Shot is not how I actually feel about it, but I didn't want to say how I felt. Shoddy. Page five. Fact. Having a self-image is like <clears throat> having no self at all. And for all of you who have one, good going. <laughs> A certain mystic who throughout his life had told of things that he said had been useful to him on this journey, finally on his deathbed admitted that the things he had mentioned had not really been useful but were things that had kept him from going crazy because of not being able to find anything that was useful. <laughs> Only those who struggle long and religiously to awaken will ever know the sweet, enlightening taste of failure and thus have the opportunity to understand what the whole thing was really all about. A certain mystic said, I recently received a letter that severely questioned my continual references to the mind. The writer suggesting that I may be doing my listeners a disservice akin to keeping some horrific historical figure's memory undeservedly alive by constantly talking about him. Well, upon reading this, I was instantly astounded. Then I remembered that I wrote it. Those who, in their search for the truth, believe their quarry a serious matter, never realize how funny they look. And finally, the more your mind stays on your thoughts, the less you realize what you really are.
Now, for those of you who may have gotten confused or whose mind may have momentarily wandered, you may have missed that literally if you took what was the central theme and was contained primarily in the main on page one, you would think that I was saying something totally in opposition to what has been my general verbal stance for the last couple of years. That is, that there is nothing to awakening or enlightenment other disregarding those extraordinary, uncontrollable, ephemeral experiences that historically so many have referred to as, then I woke up, then so-and-so had his enlightenment. That's one thing. The getting to the bottom of all this, the understanding of what it is, something that has that is of continual effect in your life is what I'm speaking of. And I'm saying it only comes about one way. It's all true awakening is or enlightenment or liberation. And that is understanding the nature of the mind. That's all it is. It's all it can be. Nothing less will do. Nothing more is possible. So if you were listening, you were supposed to have picked up the impression that I was saying that that is the very thing that a person should not be doing. I didn't put it in specific words, but I was pointing out that the more a man's thoughts stay on his mind, the less he is what he really is, the less you'll understand what you are. But let me start with the first page a little bit and reread part of it because I hit it sort of, in the way that you people used to enjoy, such as putting a hand grenade inside of a cream Danish <laughs> or a crispy cream. See, it's not a steel hand in a velvet glove. That was a very cheap allegory that I think it was one of Napoleon's generals after a bad night. But he stole it from me. I cannot explain the chronolistic problem we have with that statement, but I stand by it. Here we go. Men mistake their instinctive self. And remember, that's one of my models that is operative, that I continue to find useful and continue to drag back up. And that is, you can see yourself. You can see humanity <clears throat> as being divided into people. There are people being divided into an instinctive self, which is for the sake of the model, is totally physical, completely without voice, entirely mechanical. It is that which keeps us alive, is that which sustains our existence. Then we have our mental self, or sometimes I call it your social self. But it is a mental self. It is the secondary realm. It is wherein... As opposed to a physical life, you live an invisible, intangible life. But, of course, the more you live there, the realer it seems, the more of more significance it seems. So, back to the reading. Men mistake their instinctive self for how they feel. But as I have noted... Uh, throughout the years, people talking to me in person and in letter, and now through glorious email, instantly being able to get onto my desktop now that I have one and have it plugged in. <laughs> At any rate, it's not just strangers or people who contact me. Check with yourself and see if you qualify. But it is, it just brings to mind again that what people contact me about, when people write and say how much, or email me and say how much they're enjoying the new daily feature or anything they ever read, and uh, at first it sounds fairly intellectual in the sense I mean it, that they apparently have given some thought not only to what I have said, which is irrelevant ultimately, but that they have given some thought to the nature of their own mind and their own thinking so that there is something to them, and I'll go ahead and continue reading their message. But all it takes is one or two sentences, and it's always back to problems about how they feel. They can say things about how much new understanding I have received from reading your writings, 
I feel as though what enlightenment I thought I had in the past was minuscule, but now I feel I'm on the verge of a great breakthrough in my consciousness and in my mental perception of reality. <clears throat> period. I can tell they don't want to put a period, but I guess their high school English forces them to. What they want is a very quick, easily ignored comma so they can get on to the gist of the message. It's then they tell me how they feel. And again, I am not singling out people who contact me as though they are some unique brand or group of people. Look at yourself. Listen to people talk. Listen to ordinary human conversations. Going back to another one of my old models, the yellow circuit. Man's mind, if you look at it in a certain way, seldom manifests itself overtly. Again, if it's of any encouragement to you to consider it, the first time that that ever hit me, and it was in those words, as much as things hit me in words, but it was in those words, I found that extremely helpful. I found that valuable at the time. The fact that, and I don't know how I would ever try to explain it to an ordinary person, if, but that the mind itself, Man's yellow circuit seldom doesn't even curve it. I would put it to you this way. It is scantily possible. There's barely any way in which man's intellect, the mind, overtly manifests itself in a singular, in a direct way. That is not how people associate. That is not how people manifest quote, themselves or their self, their personality, who they are. They do not manifest it by what goes on in their mind, by their thinking. The manifestation of people, look at them. People that come up and talk to you, people just stand on the corner and listen to people talk to one another. Or if you don't watch it, if you're not alert, you automatically, no matter who you are, what you unless you are completely on guard, someone can just say hello to you, and you say hello, they go, what's up, and you'll tell them how you feel. That is what, that is the coin of the realm. That is the way in which men manifest themselves overtly to other people. That's the way they present themselves to the world, is how they feel. People do not meet friends, acquaintances, family members, they don't meet after having been separated for a day or ten years. Nor do strangers meet. Nor do people of like professions. They do not meet on an intellectual basis. Or they do not meet and then their co-mingling, their association manifests itself in matters intellectual. Hello, how are you? My name's so-and-so. They look at each other's name tag. Oh, I see that you are a biochemist too. Yes. See, I picked that out. Because some of you may be aware of the fact that it always makes the news somewhere that a fistfight breaks out at a, at a mathematician's convention. <laughs> if not an actual fistfight, it's the international, the annual gathering of the International Association of Physicists. And one man with some new idea, a cosmologist, some man with a, a new oblique sideways version of the th string theory, reads his paper, and before he can get through, he is heckled so much by the crowd that they become unruly, and someone has to call the manager of the motel to come in there and restore order. And you can just picture it when you read it. All these little guys, probably chubby and smoking pipes, out of shape, you know, typical intellectuals, and you can think about them getting in shoving matches over the string theory. <laughs> I picked that out as an extreme example, of course, but the rest of the time. How do people manifest themselves? How do people present themselves to the world and to other people? It's on the basis of how they feel. Strangers will tell you how they feel. Check out person at the grocery store. You get to be your turn. And they turn and look at the person that just left. And so I'm sorry I took so long with that person. But God, he drives me crazy. He comes in here and it's just what? 
I just can't stand that man. He drives me nuts counting his change and looking at the bill. Here it is. You're just trying to get out with a loaf of bread and a, you know, a quart of milk. And this complete stranger tells you how they feel. And of course, if you stand there long enough, they'll probably go into more detail like, this job is going to kill me. It's just getting my nerves so bad. I mean, look at me. Sometimes I go home and I'm a drinking person. I am so upset. All right. I don't keep making you laugh so that you don't notice what I'm getting to. Operationally speaking, no matter what a person may proclaim if, it, if asked about it, no matter what you might want to believe otherwise, that you, you're, if asked about it, let's put it on other people, put the onus back on them. If an ordinary sane person is asked, if much of their, what they think, if what they think plays much a role in their life, that if what they think is really a large part of the foundation of who they are, people nowadays, and of course it's more so the more that you're in civilized areas, but now you know what I mean, the more you're in uh, first world countries, the more you are in civilizations where people are not, uh, or in societies or areas where people are not faced with uh, hard, scra hard scrabble living hand to mouth every day. That is, the more that they're living with a mental orientation rather than a physical slice instinctive one, if asked, the more they would say that, yes, my thinking, such things as my political opinions, my political views, my, the economic models that I have adopted, such as absolute free and open economy, free markets, they will say that that is what in the main constitutes their personality or is the foundation of, quote, who they are. And it's not so. Not because I say it, it's not a theory. All you got to do is listen. All you got to do is once I point it out to you, and you can remember it, just listen to people on television, listen to people discussing things on the street, take a quick look over your own history, People are, they continually, one way or the other, are telling you how they feel. All right, that is not that hard to see. I point that out to people, some of you that I've known for 20 years. Used to, I laid on it in a more specific fashion about people are always whining and bitching. Which is, I'll leave it to you by now, I don't even bother to say that. If people tell you how they feel, do I have to say any more? I mean, if somebody tells you how they feel and they don't bitch, I would suspect that you would get suspicious and figure they're probably deranged, probably a psycho. That'd be frightening. People tell you how they feel. Now, let me try to get more to the point. That's not even the point I'm getting to. Just think about it, though, for one second. Ponder it, let it sink in. That what I am describing, consider, is it warranted or not? Is it a valid, genuine description of how things are? That people manifest themselves on the basis of how they feel. That's what it comes to. That's why I use the extreme example of even people who get together and you would think are the living examples of men whose connection to life and whose manifestation in life is intellectual, physicists, mathematicians, it can go along pretty good, but you know you got to watch it because even they can get in a shoving match. People do not do things in life, as I have pointed out before. It is not the intellect that drives life, and the idea that we should not be letting emotions and passions and how we feel get into our decision making is ridiculous. It is not what happens. It's simply not the way things work. Now, here's what I'm getting at tonight, though. Assuming that you have your own view and you can see that I have given a quite genuine description, that people manifest themselves through how they feel. All creatures do. All sentient creatures do. I assume even trees do. I won't go into that. I think most people already, as they mystics say in the South, have a plate full to deal with, and I... Some that you don't want me bringing up how, what may be going on with trees. Let's leave it to your immediate family. 
<laughs> your immediate circle of acquaintances and business associates, assuming that none of them are a Georgia pine or a Sea Island oak. People manifest themselves. Their connection to, well, do you understand what I mean by manifest themselves? That's what covers it to me. They manifest themselves overtly, outwardly, on the basis of how they feel. And even if they say that they're going to talk about something intellectually, let's have a discussion over the issues. I consider the upcoming presidential election to be of primary importance and probably the most important presidential contest for the upcoming several decades. So I would like to discuss some of the issues with you. But you can start off and it sounds to an outside observer as though you're discussing matters in an intellectual way. But there's simple this. It doesn't have to get to a fist fight. It's simply this. If you did not have a passion, if you did not feel about whatever the issue is you're discussing, taxes. I would like to discuss candidate X's proposed program of tax changes. You don't bring it up for an intellectual reason. It didn't catch your attention for an intellectual reason. You have a feeling about it. You have a preference about it. So people, even when they are apparently... When they believe, which is a form of self-deception, but when they believe that they are discussing a matter on an intellectual basis, or they believe that they are discussing a matter that is itself intellectual, it is always on the basis of how they feel. The only time that people manifest themselves, the only time that people talk and are not manifesting how they feel is in very brief, meaningless social conversation. Hi, is this seat taken? No, sit down. Or stand at the bus stop or somebody or street corner and go, oh, nice day, isn't it? Sure is. See you around. Be good. If it gets past that, it is people manifesting, quote, how they feel. Assuming that you have accepted the reality of that for the moment, now I will finally, well, thank God, I will finally point you to the specific area I had in mind tonight. It is a mistake and it is a costly distraction to people like us to believe that the expression, the manifestation that you would believe that you are expressing of how you feel, it is costly to mistake that because it is not how you feel. It is a mistaken identification. You are not, of course, as always, it's based on something. It is a reflection of something quite real and quite physical. But what ordinary humans, what humans call, quote, how they feel, is not how they feel. That is not what they're expressing. Please watch it now. What they're expressing is their instinctive, inborn temperament. And that is not what men's minds call how they feel. Tigers do not feel. Tigers do not have feelings. Our instinctive self does not have feelings. Of course, we all know that the body is nothing but one big feeling. It's one big physical feeling. But lions, tigers, our instinctive selves do not have feelings. They do not, neither tigers nor our, the mortal instinctive self, in any way express or say how it feels. If there is something going on, that it would be the basis for feeling, then it manifests itself in all other creatures by making them move. And it would do so with an ordinary man the same way, as I pointed out. Something in instinct will make a person move when it becomes sufficiently strong. Need for water, sex, food, rest, shelter. Something necessary for survival or something to enhance your chance of survival. By instinct will make you move. But the truth is, 
you got to listen sideways because there's no way to put this in words that suit me. When you're hungry, hunger does not say how it feels. Hunger doesn't have feelings. I know people say, well, I feel hungry. I can only ask for a moment rhetorically. Does anybody get it? How you feel is not what you instinctively are. That's where it comes from. But to say how you feel, that term, in words more or less, your constant manifestation of how you feel, is a costly, misappropriated term. Because what your mind says is how you feel, for all intents and purposes, is your imagination. It's based on something real. But instinctively, there's no such thing as how you feel. It's what you are. Well, now that I've tried to put into words, it's more viscid than even I feared. Let me try it this way. I'll keep trying. Let me try it real simple. The manifestation of, quote, how you feel comes not from the brain, not from the cortical area of the brain. It is not an intellectual by any means. Surely this is obvious. It is not in any way a mental exercise. It is not in any way a reflection of anything intellectual. Because a person does not have feelings, for instance, to take another extreme example, no one, no sane person, has any feeling about the fact that according to mathematics, two and two is four. No one has any feelings who are sane over the accepted fact that Energy is just another form of mass. When you get past that, then everything else that a person thinks arises from instinct, which is inborn in you, which is, in a real sense, singular, unique, your temperament to you, and as far as I'm concerned, for all intents and purposes, it is inalterable. But it does not express itself in any way resembling how you feel. Because instinctively, what's behind the expression of how you feel is by temperament, by instinct, what it is, is what you are. It's not how you feel. I'm sure I'm tempted to make the example even more simplistic, but I'm just positive. If I did so, some of you would distract you. Can't you put it together? Can't if instinct, what I call instinctive, a person's instinctive self, let's assume, just for a second, that it had some makeup resembling a personality, our mental self. Let's assume that it can think in the same way that we do, think in words. The, our instinctive self would never think about how it felt. Your instinctive self would not one day think, I don't know, I feel edgy. I don't know what it is. Today I feel, geez, I don't know, just, I don't know, kind of depressed. Your instinctive self doesn't feel that way. If that is you I described, that's what you are. It's not how you feel. Aha. Uh -huh. And the costly error is, if you take what you are by temperament, if you take that as being how you feel at that moment, here's where the costly mistake comes in, is you then think that you can change it. That's the only reason that priests and rabbis have to put up with giving counseling or want to. This is the only way that psychiatrists, psychiatry came into being. 
Well, for you people on tape, I don't know what's going on out there, but at least several people here, I can tell, got it. All right, let me try one more simplified version, a little bit more simplified. Now, this is real crude. And remember that before I say it, and I hesitate saying it, but some of you should be close enough to be able to put it together or for it to hit you correctly. If there's a person who says, who says, either to others or to themselves, it doesn't matter, about how nervous they are, just how fearful they are about life, just skittish, as they used to call it, down home, that they far too often, and with no good reason, they finally conclude at the age of 50, for no valid reason, too often, that I just feel just fearful. I'm just nervous. I have a dread about being alive. I'm frightened. I mean, that's how I feel. I don't like it. I've been thinking about if I had the money, I'd see a psychiatrist. Every time I see an article on it, I'll read about it. I worry about it. I don't like it. But that's the way I feel. Here's the crude part. That's not how that person feels. That's what they are. I bring up to you again. Most of you, I think, have been around domestic pets during their early days. Any size litter of a pack animal like dogs, any size litter, I'm never, can't guarantee the number, but Surely, if there's four or five pups, if you've got any eye, you got any, any of you should be able to get around those puppies within a week or so, and you can spot, because there usually will be one, surely in that number, there will be a dog that if he had a talking, instinctive self, that that puppy would already be saying what I just put in the words and the mind of some human. You can look at that dog, and he's already, with his tail between his legs and his ears back, and he is last in line to the tits. Everybody pushes him around. The rest of them ignore him. They walk on top of him, and you can see it. Uh, as I have mentioned, it's just off en passant. It's not always that easy, but you can walk in if you know how to do it. If you have the right understanding, you can walk into a nursery or the hospital. And just walk past, look in that window, and if there's enough babies laying there, just, again, I don't have a magic figure. If they're still there, I guess a week or two old, sometimes you can look, if you know what you're doing, you can look and you can see a whipped dog. You can see a kid, you can see a human being that is wired up, that one day, that's wired up, they're, they're going to say and think, I feel Inferior, I feel very threatened by life. I feel as though I cannot exert myself. I feel that I can't have my way. And you can see it sometimes. And a child, I can. I know by now some of you could, and I pointed out, you can see it. You could describe it, and you certainly wouldn't try to describe it to an ordinary person, but you can see it. So this person, this fictitious person that I said, thinks or states that how they feel is very frightened, very put off by life, fearful of life. The crude version I'm giving you, it's not without any validity, but I just, it's crude. I say that that is not how they feel. I say that that is what they are. It's what they are. But if you confuse the two, as obviously men are intended to do. I mean, that's just the way things are. But if a person attempting to get to the bottom of this, if you do not realize it, if you do not make the distinction, then what happens is, as long as you keep thinking of it as, well, this is how I feel, inherent in that, I mean, just look. It's there. You'll, you're aware of it as soon as you look. Inherent in that is the belief 
that it can be changed. It may take great effort. Maybe a lengthy process, but if you say, well, that's the way I feel, what you're saying is, that is the way I momentarily experience life. In other words, when you say, that's the way I feel, you're saying that's the way, you're tacitly saying that's the way I feel now. I may feel that way a lot, but you still take it to be, well, that's the way I feel now. And as long as it's put in that kind of temporal context, again, the tacit Belief is that it can be changed. It can be changed later. Uh, you are terminally asleep if you believe that you can change what you are. I keep saying for all intents and purposes you can't. I never know what to say about that. Uh, I see I only got one thing to go on. I've never, as you know by now, I've never didn't study with anybody. I didn't take any of this from books. Anything I tell you I got from experience. And from experience, I can't say literally that you can't have any effect on what you are. I just don't want to talk about it. I don't know what to say because it, in a sense, defies everything else I understand. But for all intents and purposes, you can't change what you are. You obviously cannot change what you are physically as Jesus or somebody in the Western tradition, even in the religious context, said that a man cannot put a cubic or an inch on his height nor put more hair in his head. Of course, that was before Rogaine. <laughs> but the inference, I assume, whoever said it, and people had noted it before. In fact, at one time, if we'd go back several thousand years ago, it was more common for the expression, for men to express the belief that you can't change what you are, that the gods have faded it. And that the only possibility you had to change was in some way that if you could get in the good graces of one of the gods, and they would grant you an exemption, that men were simply destined to be what they were. That's part of what the, in the Western sense, the mythology of the Greeks and the Romans, but the whole Western mythology, and in other parts of the world, I should add, the Indian mythology, represented faded man. That is, not faded, like you've been washed too much. Fated! With a T. Of course, you could be fated to be fated, for all I know. Well, many people say they feel all washed up, so. <coughs> Maybe they confess more than they do realize. Anyway, the mythology represents, from one view, I say, represents a, past, a stronger past acceptance of the fact that you cannot change what you are. But back to where I was. For all intents and purposes, I'll leave it at that. I'm telling you that from experience, I cannot, I can no longer vouchsafe that 100%. And I don't know what to tell you. I don't know how to do it. And it belies everything else I understand. But there's no way that you should be able to change what you are. And there's no way that you can substantially change what you are. And that's not even the point. It's not the point that you're fated to be like you are. That's not the point. The great liberation, the idea that I'll just be free, if you don't understand what that is, you're an idiot. Or you're a dreamer. The great liberation, well, what do you imagine it is? I'm just free. Just I'm free from all this bullshit and all this mundane existence. I mean, exactly how? Free to do what? Do anything I want to. Well... What did you want to do now that you don't do? Ah, you know what I mean. No, I'm asking. No, just free. By the way, may I note that even among mystics, once men and women get past menopause, you don't hear much about, I want to be free. Spooky, huh? They'll continue to talk about wanting to be awake, but it's no longer I want to be free. Because had you, if they had grown up in a tradition, if they had become enthralled with a system, you know, which was fairly common in one part of the world, still is, that rather than being referred to as awakening or enlightenment, it's the liberation, the great liberation, the Western, the English translation, but the great liberation. And... Uh, but if you talk to somebody when they're 20 or 30 that's been involved with this, or maybe 40, 
45. And you ask them, oh, the great liberation, what do you want? Why do you want to be free? And if you really pushed them, you went, no, really, what do you mean I want to be free? And I go, well, free to where damn bourgeoisie morality doesn't hold me back. Check with them another 15 years. When they've gone through the menopause and their hormonal level, their testosterone level has dropped substantially. They quit talking about the great liberation. And it turns out, I assume some of you already caught on, I say it's the idea that I will be free, but not being able to explain it at all. Well, I just won't be free. You know what I mean. That's what they'll always say. And you go, well, no, I don't. Free from what? I just free to do by God anything I want to and not worry what other people think. 99% of what they've got in mind is sexual. And you let them get to be 60 years old and you don't hear another fucking word about liberation. It's like, well, I wish I was more than, I wish I was wiser. Now that I'm 65 and I can't get it up anymore and I'm overweight and nobody would give me any even if I could. So I picture me being kind of a larger, more substantial modern form of a Buddha. What I want is, I want wisdom. I thought you, and you say, well, years ago, I thought you were the great one hiring liberation. Well, my understanding deepened. <laughs> right. Yeah. You cannot change, back to where I was, you cannot change what you are. But that's not the problem. The real captivity is captivity to not understanding what I'm talking about. Not just tonight, but not understanding what life is about. Not understanding what is possible and what's not possible. That's the captivity. And whoever came up with the original term, the great liberation, as always, I give the original author of that term, I give him or her credit that at least the person who came up with it understood it. And I'm telling you how they understood it. Now, it was not some open-ended liberation like, well, I'll be free. I mean, it's obvious that there are limitations that you're never going to be so awake, regardless of what a few would be mystics believe. You're never going to be so enlightened or liberated that you can jump off of a building and fly. You're never going to be so liberated that when you die, death can't even hold you and you'll get back up and join us again. None of that stuff. But I say also that you cannot change not only physically the fact that you live and die and that you are subject, no matter if you're awake or asleep, you're subject to the same, quote, laws and rules of the universe that physically control everyone else's existence. It goes beyond that. That's a lie. I forgot I was talking to you people. Why didn't somebody stop me? How can it go beyond that? If you don't watch it, your mind will say, well, there's also the captivity of the mind. Get a grip. <laughs> there is no captivity of the mind. We've been through that last week. The mind is boundless and unstable, but it is boundless. Plus, whatever the limitations are of the body, here's where you separate 20-year-old half-hearted waker-uppers and those of you that I assume are still stuck around here with me. The belief that the mind can be freed, that the mind is captive. That is the most captious. How's this for a sentence? The mind believing. People believing that their mind is captive is the most captious idea imaginable. You cannot change what you are instinctively. You cannot, for all intents and purposes, one more time, you cannot change it. You cannot be free from it, in other words. But you can be free from not understanding that fact. You can be free from continuing to attempt and to dream that you can do that which you cannot do. That anybody can do what they cannot do. And when I say that you are free from dreaming it, you understand, I'm not talking about you if we take away your thoughts, if we discount those for the time being, and I say you, we're talking about everything else except what takes place 
more or less, in the frontal lobes of your brain. Discount that for a moment. Then the rest of that is you. That you is not captive. That you is not fool. That you is not mistaken. And that you does not believe that it can do things that it can't do. No ordinary person has ever got up on a building and jumped off and waved their arms, believing they can fly. No ordinary person's instinctive self will allow that. You must ingest foreign substances, alcoholic or hallucinogenic in nature, sufficient, which of course we all know is possible, sufficient to cause the frontal lobes, the cortical area of the brain, that is your mental self, to momentarily override your instinctive self. And of course, it doesn't have to be that dramatic. Get enough drinks in a guy, and a 90-year-old pound, five-foot guy, suddenly the bar will turn around to some six-footer, 300 pounds that bumped into him and said, watch it, you son of a bitch, I'll whip your ass. Of course, the next day somebody tells him about that. You know, and he shits in his pants. I didn't do that, did I? Instinctively, a person does not attempt to do the impossible. They do not dream about doing the impossible. Instinctively, back to my crude example, if your instinctive self could think and could talk and had something resembling consciousness as the, we attribute to our mental self, if that instinctive self had anything like consciousness, it would still not have a feeling about itself like such as this, that I'm too small-boned by temperament. I am not very aggressive, but I can change it. Can anybody hear me? If it could be conscious, if it could think, then it could be aware. That in a sense, it could look down to the molecular level into its own DNA, instinctive self, and go, well, obviously, I'm small-boned. I'm not as large as the average man. But I'm also not as aggressive. By temperament, I am shy. By temperament, I am afraid of most other men. I'm afraid of um, uh, most of life. Hmm. Well, now that I see that, I'll do something about it. Your instinctive self would not be so deluded. It would not think about how it feels about what it is. Because your instinctive self does not feel anything about how it is, is what I started out with trying to get you to see. How you say, how the mind says you feel is not how you feel. It's what you are. But the mind can't go, well, here I am. This is me. <laughs> Period. If it did, we'd all been awake. We'd have been awake when you were born, so to speak. That is being awake. Without all that verbalization, such as, well, this is me. See, if you get rid of all that damn talk, there's a little humor since there's only five or six words. <laughs> but that would be being awake. Your instinctive self is awake. It's not asleep. It is enlightened. It's not deluded. It is free within the physical bounds of the universe. It's as free as the universe is. You are free instinctively, which is all you are anyway. You are as free as life itself. That was one of the ideas I could put to you again that the mind came up with, that thoughts came up with. I can see as another basis, an understandable basis of why when men first started thinking, they attributed, or the first thing they do is make up gods. That's the notion of gods. Because what is the notion of God is he can do anything. That is the mind struggling against the limitations of the instinctive self, which is its sole source of fuel. That's a bigger dream than I'll live after I die. I mean, completely ill-founded. Everything that every human knows is to the contrary. But there is something more foolish than that. And that is the idea of a God, not just that, let me finish, the idea of a God who can do anything he wants to. The universe can't do anything it wants to. I mean, you either see it or you don't. If it, if it wanted to do anything other than it's doing, it would have to have some place to go. It would have to have another room to go outside that room and look at itself. It would have to be able to do that to want to change, to want to alter something. So there's nothing. We are as free as life is. 
But I, if you missed the point, I submit to you that is why. That is one of the reasons the mind, as soon as men became conscious, the first thing they do is conjure up an idea of a God, and the first attribute they give him, what? Is omnipotent. That is all-powerful. Which means what? And they don't mean it. Well, he can beat me up. No, no, no. All-powerful means he's free to do anything he frigging likes. And he's not. The universe is not free. Unless it's I say that. I don't know that for a fact. The only way it could be free was if it's got some place to step outside away from itself. And if it does, there's no way that we'll ever know about it. So as far as our life experience, I can tell you now, the only thing you can see is that we're as free as life is. And you either look around and you know the answer to that or not. You just do. We're as free as life is. Ergo, you fill it in. By the mind saying, well, I feel such and such way. This is how I feel. I feel as though I'm unappreciated in life. I feel as though other people pick on me. I feel as though I've got an unfair amount of troubles in life. I feel as though I do not have an aggressive, a stance aggressive enough to get me ahead in life, to even hold my position. All of that is a extremely, to us, people attempting to get through this, get to the end of it. That is an extremely costly era because what is behind that is what you are. And what you are is not how you feel. Because I'm telling you, what you are does not have any notion of how it feels about it. Because what you are would be in the same position that I was pointing out of the universe, then what you are genetically, instinctively, but just genetically, literally, what you are would have to have some way to step away from itself to look at itself. And if you can do that, you're spookier than the universe itself. Point being, you can't do that. Only the mind believes that it can. But as I have already, I believe, established everyone's clear satisfaction, the mind can believe anything it damn well chooses. Or, put better yet, it can believe and think anything that it is driven to by the intrinsic forces of the intrinsic self. It will, it can believe anything that it is subcortically, molecularly driven to believe. The mistake, the cause of mistake is you saying how you feel. Whether you're saying it overtly, you're doing it continually, all you got to do is look at the thoughts. It should be clear to you, it's obvious. You're continually manifesting to yourself, in your own mind, even if you don't say anything. You could be a hermit. You are continually in your head manifesting how you feel. That is the expression you think mentally. Your mind takes that as the full expression of what you are. And it's an error. It is a distorted reflection. Because what you are is the basis of the mind saying, this is how I feel. But after the mind says, this is how I feel... Then to the mind, to a person's way of thinking, then if that's the way I feel, it can be changed. But if the mind was going, well, here's how I am, which the mind can't do. That's not the nature of the mind. Remember, as I was pointing out a couple of weeks ago, the mind is constructed in such a way it does not see things as they are. After the first glimpse of anything, after that, the mind, if its attention is ever brought back to the same matter, after that first glimpse, the mind does not see things as they are. It sees things as they could be. Which can be seen as the sole talent. The crowning glory of the mind. It's the only way that technology is possible. It's the only way that we change our environment to suit us. Is that the mind looks at things how they are outside of itself and goes, wait a minute. If I took, what do I call that? Ten. If I took ten and then I took some, say, what do I call that? Next thing you know, we got the Bronze Age. Now put it over, what do I call that? A far. That's caveman from Alabama. <laughs> but when the mind turns internally on itself, there is where the error is costly. 
that is, it will keep you distracted and only slightly out of focus for the rest of your life. No matter how sincerely you try this, because the mind looks at itself internally and decides, well, I can tell this, I know this is true, and I know that's true, and that's the kind of guy I am, that's the way I feel. It's all smoke. It's not true. It's a reflection of something, but it's a reflection of how you are. I mean, what you are. But it's not a reflection of how you feel. And if you keep thinking, well, that's how I feel, then you think that that's malleable. You think it's ephemeral. You think, well, it comes and goes. It can be changed. People speak about the way they feel as though it's something separate from them. Well, hey, Hubert, how you doing? I haven't seen you in a while. Oh, man, I don't know. I had not been feeling... I've been feeling real bad. Earlene left me. You don't say. Took the dog and my truck. <laughs> now I was going out with this damn waitress about a week later. It was just two or three days. She just walked out on me and just looked over her shoulder and kind of snickered. Man, I, I don't feel. You take that feeling as being something apart from you. Why does somebody go to it? Why does anybody have faith in, a, in psychiatry or any kind of counseling? to go talk to a priest people certainly do not think about it in this manner but what they're believing the operational basis am I not correct is this not a bad description they feel as though or the intent is and the belief that it could happen that I can go to counseling I can go talk to someone about my problems about the way I've been feeling and if things go right in some way they're going to perform psychic surgery it's going to be like a dermatologist there in his office. He'll remove this unsightly wart. In some way, I'll talk, and if not today, after a few visits, that through the process of counseling, they'll take the way I feel, which is bothersome, because people don't talk about the way they feel unless it's bothersome. And so the idea is that the way I feel in some way can be removed from me, that it is removable, that me feeling... Fearful, me feeling always suspicious about life, that is something that is not really me. Well, it's known as a neuroses. It's known as a mental illness in the when neuroses they used to use. I don't know what the current terminology is, so it didn't sound like you were a died in a wool crackpot. But it was certainly considered, and reasonably so, by the medical field as a mental illness, a mental problem. And if it's an illness, then it is subject to curative action. And what you are is not subject to curative action. It can't be cured because it's not an illness. Your mind can believe it is. There's no law against it. But then what you're faced with is you find it sickening to be alive. How you feel is not... How you feel is what you are. And not having a clear distinction, I'm telling you, is costly. But if you'll ponder it and you get your own view of it, I'm telling you, I can't believe that any of you would be absolutely the same anymore. You can always take a nap and backslide, as the Southern Baptist mystics say. But if you ever get a clear sight of it, then even sometime later, that you're completely caught up again in how you feel. Oh, my God. Whatever it is, it'll come back in a positive sense to haunt you. It'll suddenly hit you what it is, and all it is is worth a smile, maybe even a chuckle. And you're instantly freed from it. And as always, remember, if you want to look at it this way, I'm not talking about physical problems. Because they're obviously instinctive. Inherent. If it is a chronic problem, if it's something that can be treated, get it treated. If you don't get it treated, you know, don't whine to me. You understand what I'm saying? That only an idiot would not get something treated that was treatable. If it turns out it's not treatable, there are things that going around, I hear, what do they call them? Terminal illnesses. So there are things going around, I understand I've, from my reading recently, that there are such things as incurable maladies. I rest my case. I thought that would suddenly bring on someone's moment of enlightenment.
Because you're supposed to go, wait a minute, I missed something. Aha! To listen, to say, to have any faith in how you feel. And we all know how real it is. I repeat one more time, look around. You can see it. It's obvious. The primary, just almost the total manifestation amongst social people, which is now more or less the six billion on this planet, to some degree are social and civilized. That is, that they are mental, their mental self is operational a, to a substantial degree within their milieu. People manifest themselves on the basis of how they feel. They do it to themselves, silently in their head, their picture of themselves, and they do it overtly to other people. But I'm saying that that is for any useful purpose, is an inoperative approach. It is misleading. It is misdirecting. And once you see it, it's just clear as hell. And it doesn't belie the fact that you can be saying, that a person can be saying, well, I just feel horrible. Oh, man, are you sick? Well, no, I'm not sick, but just, damn, you know how I, you remember how I used to get some, I don't know, I just get kind of in a funk and just, I just worry. I, I worry about my health a lot. You go, well, I ask, are you sick? Well, no, not that I know of. Well, you know, I still got the limp I used to have, and I, my nose bleeds sometimes, and my ear, I get an ear infection a lot. You remember that? Yeah. But, I mean, is that what's bothering you? Well, no, I didn't mean it. But still, I mean, I just, I worry about it. That's how they feel. There is no cure for that. Because it's not an illness. But I should have let it go there and let that bend. The, there's no cure for that. And you, you people must know that by now. If you don't know that, I want my money back for letting you listen to me all this time. There are no cure for non-physical problems. I always thought I'd find a crowd somewhere. I'd, I'd bring along my 20 loaves of bread and 14 fishes. I'd have these thousands of people and I'd say, I'd say a few little words so that they feel like they got their money's worth. You know, talk for two or three minutes and say, but here's what I called you to say, and that is there are no cures for non-physical problems. And how many people are supposed to show up for that feast? 2,000 or 20,000? I always assume that 10,000 of them would instantly have their moment of enlightenment and kind of fall down or wander off, and then the 10,000 that's left, I would add the, See, if it worked on all of them, I'd left it there. But I always assumed that only half of them would wake up from that. This is in my imaginary better universe. But then after that, then the other 10,000, I'd go, see, this is after I gave the first 10,000. I said, there is no cure. There, you know, forget looking. Forget worrying about it. There is no cure for non-physical problems. And at 10,000, half of them go, and they left. Then the other 10,000 were looking like, you know, I go, there's no cure because <laughs> it's not a problem. And then they would go, oh! You know, they're just, just a tad bit slower. <laughs> but then all 20,000 would have had a fish sandwich, got enlightenment, and left. <laughs> now it would have considered it to have been a profitable day. Even had I been out in the deserts of the eastern Mediterranean, having to compete with Started to say Moses. I'm not sure I'm going to compete with him. He didn't play fair. Well, that's enough. Uh, according to the clock, I've talked an hour. I could go on, but I'm telling you, maybe I didn't lay on it enough. Maybe I wandered off and was too entertaining. How you feel, that term, the reality behind the term, and if you're in that, if your understanding of yourself, if your understanding of your mind, if your conception of who you are is not beyond that level, then, quote, how you feel is as real as anything in the world. And me saying it's not, or me saying it's illusionary, will accomplish nothing. I'm wrong and you're right. Six billion people, more or less, on this planet believe that how they feel is how they feel. But it's not true, not if you're going to get to the bottom of this. And nothing but your mind 
expresses, manifests how you feel. Not how you feel. Your body, your instincts. If there is something resembling feeling, that is physical passions for survival, you become too hot. So hot that your health is in danger. Your survival is threatened. You don't need a mind. You can be delirious. And below the cortical level, your instinctive self will get up and take action. You will move. Even if you're in the middle of a desert with no shade anywhere in sight, your body will get up, your instinctive self, and you will move. You will start walking, looking for shade, looking for a cooler place, even if you see none, even if your mind looks around and goes, what the hell if your mind and instinct, as I said, both had personalities and could talk, and your mind could go, what the hell are you getting up for? Do you see a tree anywhere? I don't see a tree. You're just going to walk. Instinct would say, yeah. Instinct would not have a choice. Instinct will take action. But see, with how you feel, those problems, which I say are all of the mind, there's no action you can take. Oh, yeah, you try to, as we've been through. You go talk to somebody, whine about it, talk to yourself about it. But there is no action you can take because it is not, as they call it in the law, it is not actionable. You have no cause of action. There's nothing you can do about it other than see it for what it is. And how you feel is simply what you are. And they keep saying, well, that's how I feel. It's like you've got a small fever and you won't treat it. Or you're walking on a, with a tack in your shoe and you keep limping and you refuse to simply take the tack out of your shoe. That's all it amounts to. You refuse to simply look at it. And I say, shame on you, God damn it. Do better. I always wanted to be somebody's mother. No, I didn't. That concludes this talk. Be sure to visit us at jancox.com where you can search through 3,000 talks for topics of interest or just leave us a message.